Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and devote ourselves to it to learn how to overcome sin and to overcome Satan. The lesson you're about to hear asks a very important and somewhat frightening question. What would you do if someone were stalking you? Open your Bible and study along with me to learn about the one who is in fact stalking us and what we must do to overcome. I want to share with you something that I recently heard about from a friend of mine. A horrifying and frightening experience that she endured just a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, she started receiving phone calls. and She didn't recognize the voice at the other end. And the man would say to her, I know who you are. I know where you go. I know what you do. I'm going to kill you. Sometimes he would call and he would get a hold of her husband. And instead of hanging up, he would say to him, I know who your wife is. I know where she goes. I'm going to kill her. Can you imagine going through that? What would you do if that started happening to you? Would you call the police? Would you begin to study up on stalkers and learn how they behave and learn how to protect yourself from them? Would you start letting your friends know and asking them to keep their eyes and ears open? Would you start making sure that you didn't go anywhere alone? Would you start taking self-defense classes? Carrying mace or perhaps a gun? What would you do if somebody was stalking you? Or consider another scenario. What if your daughter came home from school one day and said, Dad, you know, I saw this strange guy in this, in this truck while I was waiting at the bus stop. But... What was really funny was then when I was at school playing on the playground, I saw the same man outside of the truck, just outside of the playground. And then while I was walking on my way home, I saw him several times. What would you do? You think you'd call the police several times? You think you'd start taking her to the bus stop and waiting there with her? You think perhaps that you might tell her teachers about it? Have them be on the lookout. Start teaching her about stranger awareness, maybe even having her take self-defense classes. What would you do when somebody started telling you, don't you think you're going a little overboard? What would you do if somebody asked you in that scenario, do you really think all of this is absolutely necessary? Well, I want to warn you that somebody is, in fact, doing that very thing. There is somebody who is watching you. Every breath you take, every step you take, every move you make, He's watching you. 
every single day. Everything you say. He's watching you. He knows who you are. He knows where you live. He knows what you do. He knows where you go. He knows what your weaknesses are and your vulnerabilities. And He has one goal. He wants to take you captive, torment you, and kill you. His name is Satan. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26, it says that he wants to hold us captive, that we would do his will. Satan is stalking you. He's stalking your wife. He's stalking your husband. He's stalking your children. He knows who we are. And He will stop at nothing to take us captive. Would you bow with me in prayer? Almighty God and Father in Heaven, we humbly come before You this morning praying for Your help and Your strength because we're facing an enemy that is too great for us. In every possible way, He is attacking us and desiring to take us captive. And we pray, Father, that You would be our strong and mighty tower, our fortress and our deliverer. That You would fight with us and arm us with Your righteousness and Your grace and Your mercy. We pray, Father, that we will be strengthened as we fight this battle. That we will do whatever it takes to win the war against Satan and his forces of wickedness. Father, we praise You that You sent Your Son to die for us, that we might even enter this battle. And we pray that through Him, You would give us the life and the strength to overcome. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we have allowed Satan to take us captive. And we pray that You would strengthen us to get out from his clutches and to live within Your arms. We love You, Father. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul pointed out saying that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. I want us to think just a moment about Satan and what he does, the means by which he attacks us. And I'm just going to warn you now, I have a lot of things to say. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. And... Normally, while I try to slow down so everybody can keep up, we've got so much we'll be here till tonight if we keep that up. So I'm going to be moving pretty quickly, but I have outlines as usual that are going to be on the table in the back. But uh, I encourage you to follow along as best you can, but I'm going to be moving pretty quickly because we've got quite a few things I want to hit on as we consider this. But Satan, how does he attack us? First of all, Satan lies. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus spoke about Satan and he told the Pharisees that you're of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and whenever he lies, he speaks from his nature, because that's what he is. He is a liar. Satan 
lies to us. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. The very first temptation when Satan tempted Eve, what did he do? From the tree of the garden, she said, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And what did the serpent say to her? You'll not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan lied. The fact is, as we're fighting the battle against Satan, we cannot believe everything we hear, we cannot believe everything we think, we can't believe everything we feel, because Satan will lie to us. The second thing we recognize is that Satan is going to use our own desires against us. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, the Scripture there reads, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, or the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Satan will use those desires against us. Again, we go back to Genesis chapter 3. What did Satan use to get Eve to fall and eat that fruit from the tree? In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes, excuse me, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. He used the desires. You know, it's interesting though. If I were just to say to you, which tree in the garden was the one that was a delight to the eyes and good for food, which one would you think? Oh, the bad one. But read Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. Every tree in the garden was pleasing to the sight and good for food. What do we learn from this? Everything that's pleasing is not right. Too often we have the idea that if it's pleasing and pleasant, it makes us happy, then that's going to be okay. After all, God wants us to be happy and He doesn't want us to suffer anything. There's no desire out there that he wants us to sacrifice. But the reality is Satan is going to use our desires. And he's going to use them against us to take us captive and make us prisoners of war in his torture camps. Satan disguises. And this is important, especially in our day and age. Satan disguises. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 13, Paul said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of life. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Satan will disguise himself as being on God's side. You know, Satan doesn't walk up to us with the pitchfork and the horns and the pointy tail and say, listen, I was wanting to tempt you today. Could you just make it easy on me and just go ahead and submit so we can just bypass all this? He doesn't do that. He disguises himself. And sometimes it's going to look like righteousness. It's going to look like godliness. Satan doesn't care if we enter the battle as long as we're submitting to his way of fighting. I'll give you an example. One I think pertinent to today. I received a phone call just a few weeks ago from Teen Mania Ministries. In April, Acquire the Fire Battle Cry event is going to be taking place in Nashville. They advertise it as a moment, an event where your teenagers can have a real encounter with God. And a lot of folks are happy that their kids are going and just being involved in something that's related to God. 
But I'll tell you what, Satan's got his fingers on that. Satan's got his hands all over that. Because all it is is an event that feeds the flesh, offering counterfeit entertainment as worship and emotionalism as experience with God. It's not what God offered in His Word. It's what Satan is offering to try to make us think we're fighting the battle when in fact we've already gone to his side. Satan disguises himself. Don't be deceived and don't be fooled because that is exactly what he's doing. Satan takes away the Word. In Luke chapter 8, in Luke chapter 8, and verse 5, the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. He explained this part of the parable in verse 11 and 12. He said, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they'll not believe and be saved. Satan doesn't want us hearing the word of God. Satan is going to provide distractions from us so that we'll put off reading the word of God. Satan will provide bitterness and resentment so that when we hear the word of God, we won't listen to it. Satan will provide other distractions so that after we've heard the word of God, we start thinking about other things so that we don't focus on the word of God. Satan will make us angry at the messenger of God so that when he's pointed out God's truth, we don't have to listen to it because we're mad at him about what he said or the things that he discussed. But Satan is going to take away the Word because the Word is our defense against him. Satan is going to use disaster and sickness. Look at Job. In Job chapter 1 and 2, we find Satan attacking Job. And in Job chapter 1 and verse 15, Satan attacked Job by the Sabians attacking and taking his goods and slaying his servants. And then in verse 17, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants. So he used these, this issue of war and raid and attack. Verse 16, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. Perhaps lightning. In verse 19, behold, a great wind. Is that a tornado? Hurricane? A great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then in chapter 2, and verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Satan will use disaster. He will use sickness. I find it interesting if you look in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. As Peter is describing the work of Jesus while he was here, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. He recognizes that Satan uses sickness against us. Now, I'm not saying that if you're sick, Satan necessarily directly caused it, or, or bad things happen that Satan necessarily directly caused it. I'm just saying that he uses it. That... If he causes or whether that just happens because it was natural for us, Satan is using that to get us away from God. He wants us to face those things and turn from God. And he'll take us captive. 
He'll use others. Matthew. In Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. In verse 21, Jesus had talked about how He was going to have to be killed and be raised on the third day. And in verse 22, Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Notice what Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. He calls Peter Satan. Why? Because the words of Peter were the tool of Satan to turn Jesus away from the plan of God. He says, get behind me. Satan will use other people. Job. You ever wondered why when, when Satan killed all of Job's family, he left his wife? I'll tell you why. Because this wife in this particular rebellious state that she's in, in Job chapter 2 and verse 9, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. She was a lot more good to Satan alive than dead. And then the friends the friends that came and were supposedly going to be a comfort to Job were the one tool that Satan used that came closest to accomplishing his purpose. Satan will use others against us. He will use our co-workers, our friends, our family. He will even use our brethren sometimes. If he can use Peter, he can use us. Satan won't stop at any means to try to take us captive. He's going to use our emotions. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. This points out that having that emotion of anger is not sinful, but we have to understand that Satan will use that against us he will use that as a foothold to get in our lives and cause us to do things we shouldn't do, like having bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander, like leaving off kindness and being tenderhearted and forgiveness. Satan will use our emotions against us. He'll get in there and use those as a foothold to get in our lives and cause us to do things that we know we're not supposed to do. Satan will stop at nothing. But here's one. Satan doesn't care where we are. Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Just this week, somebody talked about this verse with me, and I never thought about it like this. Did you realize Job chapter 1 and verse 6? Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Here are the sons of God presenting themselves before the Lord, and Satan is right there with them. He didn't care that the sons of God had assembled to come into the presence of the Lord and worship Him. And it doesn't matter whether you believe those are angels or whether you believe those are just worshipers. The point is the same. Here were people coming into the presence of the Lord to praise and honor and glorify Him, and Satan didn't have a problem being right there. It doesn't matter to Satan if we're at home, if we're at work, if we're at school. It doesn't matter to Satan if we're right here where we are right now. Satan is attacking. How many people right now are suffering distraction so that they're not able to listen to the lesson or experience the worship? How many people right now are putting up roadblocks to what is being said because they don't like it? How many people right now are thinking about lunch? How many people right now 
are saying to themselves, you know, none of this matters because, you know, I'm not good enough. I sinned this week. Let me tell you something. Those roadblocks are not from God. That is Satan attacking us right here. The long and short of it, brethren, is we are being stopped every moment of every day. And Satan has one goal, to take us captive and kill us, to make us his prisoners of war, and to overthrow us. And he doesn't care what he uses. He'll lie about it. He'll disguise himself as what is right. He'll, he'll put up roadblocks in our mind. He'll distract us so that we won't think about God's things. He doesn't care if we're at work, at school, at play, at home, at church. He doesn't care. He will do anything to condemn our souls to hell. That's who we're up against. And, and he is doing that. He doesn't sleep. He is doing that all the time. Now, before I talk about our defense, I do think we need to be honest and talk about God's involvement. First of all, we just have to be honest and say, God allows Satan to do this. In Job chapter 1 and 2, that's the message. Satan came to the presence of God and asked permission. In Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, as Peter is vowing and declaring his allegiance to the Lord, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 33, he said, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow three times. Back up, I'm sorry. Verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you when once you have turned again and strengthened your brothers. Satan is demanding permission. And God allows it. And we can be mad at God for that. We can do whatever we want about that. We just need to understand this is the way the world works. We just have to understand God and trust Him that His way is, is best. And He's doing this for a reason. And in the end, it is for our good. But I'll tell you one thing we recognize about God's involvement. While He allows Satan, He limits Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God does allow Satan to tempt us. He allows this battle. But he limits Satan. Remember with Job, that's what he did. He said, okay, Satan, you can go this far, but no further. And he came back and asked for more. And God said, all right, you can go this far, but no further. God limits Satan. But God also provides for our escape. There, again, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, as we continue on, he says, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. Interestingly, he says this in the context of talking about the children of Israel and how they followed Moses. And there they were, their enemy was attacking, and they were up against the Red Sea. And what did God do? He parted the waters, providing a way of escape. God will provide a way of escape. But it goes even beyond that. God wants to be our refuge, our rock, our defender, our deliverer. Psalm 18. 
Psalm 18, beginning at verse 1. I love You, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. We read beginning in verse 30. As for God, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me. Your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. This is what David said God had done for him. This is what God wants to do for all of us in the battle. He wants to be our refuge, our shield, our defender, our rock, our deliverer. He doesn't want to be just the one that, well, there's the way, follow it. He wants to be the one that leads us through it and takes us there and delivers us. But if we want that, we have to take our refuge in God. So David said, he said, I take refuge in God. We could go all over the Bible, I think, and probably talk about all kinds of different concepts of taking refuge in God, but I think this verse, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, demonstrates to us the fourfold assault on Satan that we can take that is taking refuge in God. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Why were these Christians doing these things in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42? Was it because they were Christians now and God said, all right, here's your assignment? And so they said, all right, I guess I have to read a chapter every day. All right, I've got to make sure I spend ten minutes in prayer every day. All right, I guess I have to go to church on Sundays. Do I really have to go twice? I don't know. Yeah, we'll take that Lord's Supper too, and we'll, we'll, we'll do those things. Is that why they did it? That's not why they did this. I'll tell you why they did this. Because they had been freed by the, from the Sutton. They had been freed by the clutches of Satan. They'd been freed from that. They had been under a law that they recognized had not delivered them, and now they had been delivered. And they wanted to do whatever it would take to win the battle today. And so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We could probably, and will probably, take a look at each of these individually in an entire lesson at some point, but for right now, let's just briefly comment on all four of these. Continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. There in Psalm 18, where David talked about being delivered, in verse 20, he said, The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His ordinances were before me, and I did not put away His statutes from me. What's he say? He's taking refuge in God by going to His Word. Why did God recompense me? Why did He deliver me? Because I was taking refuge in His Word. I kept His ordinances before me. And I didn't put them away from me. 
Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. How do we overcome the tempter? Taking refuge in God so that we don't sin when He throws that temptation out for us? By having His Word in our hearts. And so these early Christians, they were devoted to the Word of God because they realized this is the only way I'm going to overcome. I've been in bondage. I've been sinning. And if I want to stop, I've got to know God's Word. Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus Himself demonstrated the importance of being devoted to the Word. When Satan tempted him three times, he responded. In verse 4, it is written. In verse 7, on the other hand, it is written. In verse 10, go Satan, for it is written. All too often, we view Bible study and Bible reading as a homework assignment that we procrastinate, just like we did in school. This isn't homework. It's in the game. This is a war. And Satan's not procrastinating his attacks on us. Let me ask you. If somebody was stalking you, your wife, your husband, or your kids, what would you do? Would you study up on stalking and know how to recognize their behavior? Would you study up how to defend yourself? Would you ask yourself the question, you know, I wonder if I really need to go and and study this three times this week. How much time do I really need to spend studying this self-defense thing? If we wouldn't do it then, why do we do it with Satan stalking us? They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. That is the joint participation with the brethren. They were participating with God's people. They were taking refuge in God, and so they were taking refuge in God's children. Psalm 82 and verse 1. Psalm 82 and verse 1 says, God takes His stand in His own congregation. Why would I want to be any place other than there? And brethren, I'm not saying that that means we won't ever spend any time with folks in the world. There'll be a place and a time for that, but it only comes after we've established that foundation of taking our refuge in God. And being with His congregation, being with His people, having fellowship with His children. In Psalm 141, Psalm 141, and verse 5, David prayed, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It's oil upon the head. Don't let my head refuse it. What was David saying? If I want to overcome the tempter, I've got to be around other people who are trying to overcome the tempter. I've got to be around those who can keep their eyes open and their ears open, who can take a look at me and say, Look, David, you're going the wrong way. Back up here. And he said, Don't let me refuse it. I'll tell you what, it's good that we come in here a couple times a week. But are we really allowing this to be a fellowship where the righteous smite us with kindness? 
Are we actually devoting ourselves to the fellowship of brethren who, as Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, are going to stimulate us to love and good deeds? Or are we just punching our assembly clock? Let me ask you, if somebody was stalking you or your spouse or your kids, how much time would you spend with other people? Do you think you'd spend your time with other people who you thought might protect you? If you saw somebody strange walk out the front door of your house, would you call somebody to come over there? Well, let's, why not do that with Satan stalking us? They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, I have to admit, when I first thought about this, I thought, man, that's an odd one. Why is that one here? Taking the Lord's Supper. But I realize why they were devoted to that. Because they needed a constant reminder that God has already won this battle. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Through Jesus' death that we memorialize every week through the breaking of bread here in the congregation and the assembly, through that we are reminded that the One who has power over us because of death has been rendered powerless. Because Jesus died. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? How do we know that God is for us? He says, because He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Every time we participate in this supper, we are reminded, that God is for us. Too often we act like God is against us. Too often we act like, well, this is a negotiation with God because I'm just trying to figure out what have I got to do to keep Him from zapping me. God is the one who is for us. He's the one who's trying to help us. Satan is the one who's trying to capture us. And too often, here we are in the army of the Lord supposedly fighting the battle against Satan and too often we're spending our time in contract negotiations with God. And all the while, as we're in those negotiations with him, Satan is nipping away at people and at us. But this reminds us that God is for us. He is our helper. He is our strength. He sent His Son to die for us. The passage to which Kenny alluded before we partook of it this morning in Romans chapter 5 talks about Jesus and says, while we were helpless, God sent His Son. If He did that while we were sinners, how will we not, through Him, receive life? And then a few verses later, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. 
God's trying to save us from Satan. And of course, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Every time we take this, we are reminded that Jesus died to wash our sins away. We take this to remind us that I can get back into the battle this week. I messed up last week, but I can get back into the battle. Because Jesus is the propitiation for my sins. If I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive them. Let me ask you. If you were being stalked, or your spouse or your children, would you want to have a reminder of what is being done to overcome that? Would you want to remember that? Would you want to know about that? You called the police and they said, hey, we're going to have a guard on the house and you don't see him, what are you going to do? You're probably going to call, hey, is he out there? Yeah, he's there. You want that reminder. Why not in dealing with Satan's stalking? And finally, prayer. Prayer. We're facing an enemy that's too great for us. Satan is stalking. And if I try to fight him on my own, I am not going to win. But God is greater than Satan. God is greater. And God will win. Psalm 18, that psalm that we read moments ago about God as deliverer, listen to what David said in verse 6. Psalm 18 and verse 6, David said, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry for help before Him came into His ears. God wants to be our refuge, our fortress, our rock, and our deliverer. And He is in His temple, listening for our cry. Will we cry out to Him? How could we not? How could we not? Psalm 141 that I referenced just moments ago. That was David's prayer. He said, God fight his battle against Satan. O Lord, I'll call upon you. Listen to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. The lifting up of my hands is the evening offering. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Don't incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity. And do not let me eat their delicacies. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is the oil upon my head. Don't let my head refuse it. He ends it in verse 8, For my eyes are toward you, O God the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they've set for me and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. David's calling on God. 
Fight this battle. The enemy has set traps. Unless you think, oh, that's just Old Testament. Remember Jesus' model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or the New King James says, from the evil one. Prayer. How could we not? And prayer, again, is one of those things that we view kind of like homework. Exactly how much praying do I have to do in order not to be sent to hell by God? I'll tell you what, what we need to be thinking is, how much praying do I need to be doing to make sure Satan doesn't take me prisoner of war? Because Satan is going to attack today. And I'm not strong enough to handle it. I need God. And then, when we receive the victory, how can we do anything but, be, but praise and give thanks to God? How can we do anything but devoted to honoring and glorifying and magnifying the God who has brought us the victory? Who has won the battle? Psalm 18, what was it? I'll tell you, that, was, that psalm was written as a prayer of praise from David to thank God, to honor God, to glorify God. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Let me ask you this question. If a friend of yours was being stalked and you were the one that nabbed the guy and got him put in prison and they never said thank you. Or maybe they just sent you one little note of thanks. Then after that, never said anything about it again. What would you think of them? I think we would probably, however, be really devoted to thanks for that person. We feel indebted to him and be figuring out any possible way we could ever repay them, don't you think? That's, that's what we'd be doing if somebody did that for us. Why not when God has done that for our stalker? David concluded his psalm. The Lord lives... And blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord. And I will sing praises to your name. How could we not? Satan is stalking. But we have one who will deliver us if we take refuge in Him. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. We'll win the battle will overcome. Praise God. I hope this lesson has been beneficial to you, helping you combat Satan 
and the temptations and attacks that he will hurl at each one of us to overcome us. Let's remember what we've learned. We learned that Satan will stop at nothing to take us captive and torment us and kill us. We've learned that God allows it, but God has limited Satan, and God provides the way of escape, and God wants to be our deliverer. We've learned that if we want deliverance, we must take refuge in God. And we do that by being devoted to the Apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If you have any questions about how Satan works, about how God works, about how we must work as we strive to be in the Lord's army overcoming sin and Satan, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or on audio tape. If that's the case, let me encourage you to go to that website that we just mentioned, franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download, both in audio and in outline format. Please download them and use them in any way that you believe will glorify God and help others overcome the tempter. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.